I'm Johnny Cash. On this heart of mine, I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds, because you're mine. I walk the line. Hey, let's have a word of prayer and uh, we will dive right in this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for the fact of your presence here in this place today. We thank you, God, for the opportunity that we have to encounter you to be changed and touched right where you know that we need you. Father, I ask this morning that you would speak through me. God, that you would speak in spite of me and use this time for your purposes in our lives personally, but God, also in our lives collectively as a church family. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Because you're mine, I walk the line. You know, when Johnny Cash wrote that iconic lyric. There was really no way that he could know that it would become the title of the movie about his life, that there would ever even be a movie about his life, much less there even that that song would become a hit. Now, originally, probably, most likely, the song, I Walk the Line, was written from Johnny to his first wife, Vivian. It was written as an as an affirmation of his love for her. They had just gotten married very, very young. As soon as Johnny finished his stint in the Air Force, they were beginning a young family. And at the same time, his recording career was absolutely taking off. He had just released Folsom Prison Blues. People wanted him all around the country. And he was traveling a lot. And Vivian, as a young mom stuck at home with young kids, as you might imagine, was worried about the temptations on the road as Cash traveled across the country. And so he wrote, I walked the line to reassure her, to affirm his faithfulness to her, no matter the temptations that he encountered. Now, I say that it was most likely written as an affirmation for his first wife, Vivian, because later in his career, after his trajectory was confirmed and sure, and he was a mega, mega superstar, after that marriage had indeed failed largely because of his addiction and giving in to the temptations of the road, Johnny Cash actually told a reporter that I Walk the Line was secretly his first gospel hit. And if you read the lyrics to I Walk the Line as a gospel song, it actually works pretty well as a prayer to God to say, because you're mine, I walk the line, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I don't believe that it really was originally a gospel song. Johnny Cash, like a lot of us, was not above letting the facts get in the way of a great story or bending those facts to kind of suit his purposes from time to time as it so needed in any given moment. But the reality is that that initial lyric, that because you're mine, I walk the line, captures a, an amazing tension that every single relationship encounters. It's that tension between what we feel like doing when we feel like we're in love and what we know we ought to do sometimes when we don't feel like doing it. I want to see a show of hands. How many of y'all are married? Let me just see a show of hands if you're married. Okay, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. That's okay. Be, be proud of it. If you've been married for more than five minutes, you know the tension I'm talking about. Because you, you get married, you can put your hands down. Thank you very much. 
you, you get married and it's all, you know, strawberry fields forever, rainbows and unicorns everywhere you go. And, and then comes the marriage. There's a wedding and then there's a marriage. And once you get married, you, you just know you don't feel like being a nice guy all the time. Any husbands want to help me preach that? Just be honest. I know you're probably sitting next to your wife, but be honest. You don't feel like it all the time. Wives, look, I know some of the men that you're married to. I know you don't feel like it sometimes. And so we have to somehow resolve this tension. And I think that especially spiritually, this is a critical, critical tension for a lot of people. Because for a long, long time, actually for millennia, Human beings have been creating man-made religions, man-made constructs of systems of belief and behavior, all in an effort to somehow earn the favor, earn the approval of God or the gods or whatever. And there's always been this tension where if we make the gods or God mad, then he's going to zap us. He'll, he'll you know, come down from heaven like a, a cosmic referee, blow the whistle, throw the flag if he ever sees us beginning to have any fun whatsoever. And so we've got this tension within us that the gospel of Jesus Christ beautifully and perfectly resolves. It's that tension between the chicken and the egg, the favor of God or the behavior of people. And no matter where you come down, the gospel of Jesus Christ does a phenomenal job of resolving this tension. Now, some of you, you, you might have grown up in a home or maybe even a church environment where it was kind of a heavy-handed thing. Like, if you don't mind your P's and Q's, if you don't walk the line, then God's going to cut you down. Then, then God will be there just to hammer you. So you better be careful, mister. You better be careful, little missy. And a lot of people grow up with that, and, it, and it's a holdover. I've known people who come from very different backgrounds. I've known Roman Catholics who, who grew up with that kind of guilt-motivated thing, not because, of, because that's what the Bible teaches, but because that was the church that they grew up in. That's what they were taught repeatedly. I've also known Southern Baptists who had the exact same response from a completely different background. And so for you and me today, the key is, what does Jesus really say? Well, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ really about? What is the truth of the matter? And the truth of the matter is this. It is never the wrong time to do the right thing. It is never the wrong time to do the right thing. I think in my life, just in my own experience, a lot of the anxiety, a lot of the angst, a lot of that tension that I experience on a regular basis more often than not, is self-inflicted. If I'm going to be completely honest with you, if I'm going to be completely honest with myself, I have to admit that I create a lot of the anxiety, a lot of the angst that I feel. And yet Jesus comes along and says, you don't have to live that way. How many of y'all remember, did you ever see Muhammad Ali fight? If, you, if you're that old, raise your hand. If you saw float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, you know, what I remember most from Muhammad Ali as a, as a kid in the early 70s was a commercial that he did for Decon Forgone Roach Spray. <laughs> I remember Muhammad Ali standing up there with roaches buzzing around behind him. He goes, I don't want you living with roaches. <laughs> That's what I remember about Ali. 
I never really saw him fight. I believe that God would say to you and me, within the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't want you living with anxiety. I don't want you living with angst. I don't want you living with chaos and with stress. And the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us we don't have to. But what we're not saying is that our behavior doesn't matter. That within the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can just do whatever you feel like. You're forgiven. Green light. If it feels good, let it fly, baby. That's not the case. And Jesus, I think, shows us in John chapter 14 exactly how we resolve this tension. How we can say to God, spiritually, because you're mine, I walk the line. Look in the Bible. If you, have your with you, if you don't have a Bible, we'll have it on the screen here behind me. John chapter 14, verse 15. One sentence. One sentence kind of sets up the whole thing. Jesus says this, if you love me, obey my commandments. It's real simple. If you love me, obey my commandments. It's never the wrong time to do the right thing. If you love me, obey my commandments. You know, I'm a dad. I've got two kids. One's a sophomore in college. One's getting ready to be a, one is a senior in high school. And our first child in particular, Emily, is a strong-willed person now. She's no longer a strong-willed child. She's a strong-willed adult. How many of y'all have a strong-willed child at home? Let me see. Are you parented a strong-willed child? You're welcome. So my mom's here. That's why I just pointed to right there. My brothers were a handful. But <laughs> when Emily was very, very, very small, two and a half, three years old, it became abundantly clear that she had a strong will. Now, I'm a fairly competitive individual. I like to win. And, and I saw this strong will as a threat to me personally. I'm, I'm not proud of this. I'm just telling you, transparency, keeping it real. And that when Emily was very little and she would, she would you know, rebel with that attitude from hell and, and she would just come at <laughs> my, my my thought was, this is just what I did. This is wrong, but this is what I did. I am not losing to something that small. <laughs> I'm not. And so I would escalate. She would escalate. She matched me step for step, Jack, Jackie. I mean, she came at it. And what I realized was I was going about it all wrong. I was never going to out-escalate the emotion where Emily is concerned. It wasn't going to happen. And, and so what I did was I backed down, not from where the line was, but in my amplitude, in, in how loud I got it, how fired up I got it, I would just finally, I'd go, Emily, I love you. I'm not changing my mind. Go to your room. Princess. <laughs> I'm kidding. I've never called her princess. I'm not a big fan of the princess thing. But so I, I would tell her that, but with a calm voice. I didn't move the line, but I, I didn't yell it. And as she got older, I, I, Julie and I, wanted to teach her, honey, the reason we tell you do this, don't do that, is so that your life will work better. It's not just because mom and dad have an arbitrary set of rules that we want you to follow. We want you to one day be able to move out and buy your own food and, and to live the life that God created you to live. It, it, it was about us loving her, not us winning. And I know so many people that feel like it's a competition with God, like, 
I'm not going to do what the Bible says. I'm not going to do it. Tell me a commandment. I'll tell you where you can hold that command. I'm not. And you fail to understand that the commandments of God are an act of love. Isn't that amazing? Even the commands of God are an act of love. He, he gives us his commands, first of all, primarily for his glory, so that he is honored in his creation, in, in our lives. But as we glorify and honor him, guess what happens? Our lives work better. Life works better. And so that's what we try to teach our kids because that's how God set this thing up. God put Julie and me in charge of the household. We're parents. Our children, they're not parents. They're not ready to be. But it's our job to make sure we love them as God loves us and to remember that God's rules of the household are an act of love. And so when Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments, he's saying, just, just trust me. Trust that what I tell you is for your own good. It's for your own benefit. Your life will work better. We did this with Emily and Joseph. We were like, don't tell lies. If you lie, your life's going to be a hot mess. It'll get complicated. You'll have to remember the lie that you told and then the lie to cover up the lie. You won't be able to sleep at night. And mommy and daddy find out everything. Your life will work better if you tell the truth. Walk the line in love. 1 John chapter 4 says something fascinating. 1 John chapter 4 really is a critical, critical piece of our understanding and of our experiencing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at what the Bible says. Perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. If you're afraid of God, it's because you haven't experienced the full love of God yet. If you're afraid of the wrath of God raining down on you, you don't understand how much he loves you. You know, when our, when our kids were very, very small, I remember one night, Emily woke up screaming in just a, just a night terror she was having a nightmare and our their rooms were downstairs Julie and I were upstairs and I heard Emily scream in the middle of the night and I didn't know what was going on I thought somebody could have been in our house I didn't know and so as a dad man I bolted out of bed ran down the stairs and I got down there and I could tell she was still asleep to this day Emily can sleep through a train wreck it's a gift now just a little bit of background when my kids get hurt, I don't like it. I don't celebrate it. I'm like, you know, but I am. If, if We've had broken bones. We've had stitches. We've had surgeries. I'm kind of like, you know what? It'll bounce back. You're very resilient. Suck it up. But when my kids are afraid, it goes all through me. I hate. I mean, I hate for my kids to be afraid. And that night, I'll never forget. I got to be the one to go to Emily, and I got to hold her, and I got to say, hey, you're safe. It's okay. Daddy's got you. You're okay. Nobody's in the room. You were having a bad dream. It's going to be okay. And I got to be the one to hold her. And I got to be the one to tell her she was safe. I went upstairs and I woke up Julie and told her what had happened. Because she slept through the whole thing.
But that night, as a sinful human being, I learned something about God. I learned just in my little sliver of what I was able to express and feel for my child, what God feels for us. That he never wants us to be afraid of him. That he wants us, yes, to walk the line. Our behavior absolutely matters, but not out of fear. Because perfect love, what does the Bible say? Expels all fear. When you realize how deeply and perfectly and unconditionally and eternally you're loved, what are you be afraid of? Then our behavior becomes a response and not a prerequisite of the love of God. Our behavior is, God, look what you've done for me. God, my Father, perfect Heavenly Father. And so when I start to understand that, then I want to walk the line. I, I want to because I'm, I'm living in response to his grace. I'm living in response to his protection. I'm living in response to his love. I'm living in response to how profoundly and perfectly he loves us. We walk the line in love. But Jesus gives us even more in this exchange that he had with his disciples. You know, a lot of times I've, I've thought about my own life. Come on, Mac. You got, you got to do better. Do better. Be better. Here we go. And I've tried to do it under my own steam. I've tried to do it with, quote-unquote, willpower. I'm going to resist that temptation. I'm going to do the very thing that I know I ought to do, but I don't do. And, I'm, and I'm, here we go. And I grit my teeth and I go. But Jesus says, it's not like that. To, to genuinely and truly walk the line, not only do you walk the line in love, but look at what he says in verse 16, John chapter 14. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father. Now, time out real quick. Just check this out. I want you to think about that for just a second. Jesus, the Son of God, perfect, flawless, King of kings, Lord of lords, the bright and morning star, the Alpha and the Omega, the Lion of Judah. Jesus prays to God the Father on your behalf, on my behalf. Jesus says, I will ask the Father for you. Is that staggering? That blows my mind. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Now, the world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. So it's, it's not just be better, do better, walk the line, be a good guy. It's in relationship with God. Join with the Holy Spirit of God Almighty the third person of the Trinity, and allow the power of God to guide you as you walk the line. The Holy Spirit is given to us as an advocate, as a helper to help us walk the line. So those of us who raised our hands earlier and said, I'm married and I don't always feel like being nice to my spouse. 
I don't always like my spouse. The Holy Spirit is there for those moments. In those moments when you don't feel like it, you say, God, you have to do this through me. You have to do this in spite of me. Holy Spirit, show me any known or living sin that's going on in my life. Flush it out of my life and replace it with your presence. Show me how to love this person. It doesn't have to be just a spouse. It may be somebody you work with. How many of you work with somebody difficult? Let me just see a show of hands. If you go to work, maybe a toddler at home, I don't know, but if you, you, you have to learn how to love people. That's not, a, that's not a given skill. You don't come into this world. We have to learn how to do that. We have to pray and ask God, show me how to love this person who is a jerk that you created in your image and I love, God. Show me how to do that. We walk the line, yes, in love with God, but also in the Spirit of God. God's Spirit living within us as followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus is talking to his disciples here. He says, the Spirit is with you, but he will be in you. What he's talking about is when Jesus departed and returned to heaven, God sent the Holy Spirit. From that moment forward, every time somebody comes into a relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit is given to that person and is a part of who they are spiritually in Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is a part of you. And, and for some people, the Holy Spirit kind of freaks them out. Let's be honest. You know, we, we understand kind of theoretically God the Father. I get that. I get God the Son. He came to earth. He walked on the earth. But God the Spirit, man, it's kind of the, the forgotten stepchild of the Trinity. Like, I don't know about all that Spirit stuff. It's a beautiful thing. This is the promise of God that he will give us a helper, an advocate, one who goes to the Father on our behalf as Jesus does, and also the one who will give us the power to walk the line, to live in obedient faith with Christ day in and day out, relationship in and relationship out. We walk the line in the Spirit of God, not in our own power, not by our might, but by his so if it ever feels like walking the line is impossible, you're right. It is impossible on our own, which is why God gives us the Holy Spirit. And so whatever temptation you're facing, whatever is your Achilles heel spiritually, bring the Holy Spirit to the battle, Jack. It's God, I need you in this area, this area that I've kind of tried to hide from you, I've kind of tried to keep off limits that I don't like to talk about and nobody else knows about. Bring the Holy Spirit to the fight and watch what God does. Watch what he does. Walk the line in the Spirit. Now, we started this whole conversation by talking about a tension. The tension between what we feel like doing when we love someone, when we're in a great relationship, and then what we know we ought to do even though we don't necessarily feel it. And that tension a lot of times creates stress. It creates that anxiety that is all too prevalent in our world. Look at what Jesus says. Verse 25 of John 14. He says, now I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, 
He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world can't give. So do not be troubled or afraid. It's amazing to me. I'll be 48 years old very, very soon. 48. I really thought I'd have more figured out by now than I do. But I have figured this out. When I walk the line in my relationship with Christ, in love, when I walk the line in the Spirit of God, I experience the peace of God like no other time. There's nothing like the peace of God. Elsewhere, the Bible says it transcends all understanding. You can't explain the peace of God, but you can absolutely experience it. And Jesus is saying here, walk the line in peace. Walk the line in the peace of God. For example, when I'm selfless in the Spirit of God, not by my own power or desires always, but when I'm selfless, my marriage works a lot better. It's weird. When, when I listen to what Julie is saying and I read between the lines and I actually try to meet those needs, who knew? When I parent, when I, when I father my kids, and I, and I look at where they are and where I think God is taking them apart from my relationship with them and I try to aim, aim them that way, all of a sudden their behavior is not about me or my failure as a parent. Their behavior is about where God's taking them. And I, I'm a lot more peaceful. I told Emily when she was 15, 16 years old, I said, Emily, you know what's great about your life and your faith with Christ? And she got really, she goes, what, Dad? I said, the great thing about where you are is you know enough about right and wrong to where if you screw up your life, it's your fault. <laughs> she was like, thanks, Daddy. But you know what? That's true. I wanted her to own that responsibility. She'll probably have to go to therapist at some point in her life, but at least, at least early on she knows that she's a child of God. And she knows that he loves her perfectly and that I'm doing the best that I can. And so her peace, independent upon an imperfect, flawed father, her peace is dependent upon her perfect heavenly father and her relationship with Jesus. And so that helps to kind of even things out a little bit. That helps to kind of reduce that tension between what we feel like doing when everything is great and what we know we ought to do when everything is not great. And so the peace becomes real. The peace happens. Very briefly, I want to share with you just a real-life story of a part of our church family and show you what's possible when we choose to walk the line in peace regardless of the circumstances around us. Take a look at this.
I grew up in Minden, Louisiana. Um, I was one of two boys. My dad was a, an agnostic alcoholic, and my mom was a very spiritual, loving Christian woman. Uh, my brother was bipolar and suffered from depression and multiple suicide attempts. All in all, we were sort of a reality show family, but back before those, were, those existed. Uh, when my dad was 65, many years later, uh, he became a Christian and he quit drinking. And, uh, uh. When I was 18, I started getting a real clear calling, a real reoccurring feeling coming from God that He wanted me to go into the music ministry. I decided that I wanted to become as good as I possibly could, so I made a decision when I was 20 to go to California, to go to Cal State Northridge, a, a really good school out there, and to just improve. I got a job at a club called the Baked Potato, which is a uh, big jazz club. There was a bartender there that was named Rebecca Barrow that was uh, quite cute, and uh, a couple of years later we ended up, well actually not a couple of years, a year and a half later we ended up getting married. As I kept uh, playing at Lake Hills, uh, opportunities started to open up. In 2009, uh, I was asked to come on as a halftime employee and, and, and uh, help with the worship team. And for me, this was, this was like having a journey that had begun when I was 18. And then all of a sudden, like I guess in my late 40s, finally reaching a point where I felt like I was supposed to be. When you see what God does repeatedly, opening doors for you when they need to be open, closing doors when, when they need to be closed, uh, just giving direction, using His Word to teach you how to live. I feel like it's just a continual experience of finding new things inside me that I didn't even know I had, rising up to new challenges. And without God, I couldn't do that. After my mom had passed away, I went through uh, her diary. At one point, she, she wrote when I was about 20, she said, somehow or another, Steve managed to make it through uh, un unscathed through the trials of, of our upbringing. Your circumstances do not have to dictate the outcome of who you are. And that's a God thing. That's not, that's not a me thing. Because there, there are times when circumstances should beat you down, and uh, you just have to you just have to accept the grace that's there to get you through it. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. You know what Steve said so eloquently there is just the truth. It's real. Your circumstances don't have to dictate your outcome. Your circumstances are just that. They're circumstances. They're the things that stand around you. And the fact is that the gospel of Jesus Christ 
and walking the line in love, in the spirit, and in peace is achieved through his death, burial, and resurrection. And living in that relationship with him that obliterates quote-unquote religion, legalism, but it obliterates them with a hammer of love. Because he lives, you can face tomorrow. If you're here today and you have never stepped into that relationship with Christ, why not right now? Why not just right where you're sitting? Pray to him and do exactly that. It doesn't require an elaborate ceremony. It simply requires everything committed, everything surrendered to him who loves you perfectly, as is right now. If that's you, if you're at that place spiritually, then I want to invite you just to pray right where you're sitting. Just silently talk to God. Just right where you are and say in your own words something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin, all of it. I receive, I accept your forgiveness, all of it. And I believe that you died on the cross, that you rose again for me. And so Jesus, in exchange for your life, I give you mine from this moment forward with everything that I have. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. Amen. I want to ask you if you will just remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed in a spirit of prayer, in a moment of prayer. But if you just stepped into that relationship with Christ for the first time in your life, that was your prayer in this place today, you need to know this is the greatest moment of your life. This is the moment for which you were created. And it's important for you in your faith journey that you mark this moment, that you stamp it and you know it is real, that it is once and for all. You never have to pray that prayer again. And so for you, you need to mark this moment, stamp it. And so if that was your prayer, I want to ask you with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you would just raise your hand. Just raise your hand up high and hold it there quietly, but unmistakably as you mark this moment and know that it's real. And you need to understand also that this is an important moment for us as a church family. There's nothing more important that we pray for, work toward, hope for than one more person stepping into that relationship with Christ. And so we celebrate that with you. What we like to say around here is you put your hands down, is we like to put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home.
Welcome home.